Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. I want to go back to Joshua. Is that all right? We're going to finish up today. On consecration, the all-in generation. I want to begin again in chapter 3, verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Another translation says that he would do amazing things. Then he goes on in verse 6, And Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over ahead of the people. So they looked up, and the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of the people. And now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know the living God is among you. He would assuredly, assuredly, Dispossess from before you the Canaanite, Hittite, Hevite, Perzite, Gergesite, Amorite, Jebusite. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into Jordan. And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry land was not an easy task they believed there was at least two million until all the nation had finished crossing the jordan the jordan river sixty miles long a hundred feet wide ten feet deep Currents up to 45 miles an hour. They have now crossed over. Two million of them strong. 40,000 of them equipped warriors. And now they have crossed And the battle is before them. They're headed to Jericho. Lord, let your word speak to us today. One more time. Come, O Holy Spirit. And do what you want to do and say what you want to say. And we give you praise for it. And the church shouted. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. As I have been stating the last few weeks, I believe the church 
including Fresh Start Church, that we are standing at a place of crossing over. I'm seeing more than ever that this fits within the context of sustained revival. Because sustained revival seems to have this prophetic purpose uh, or process that we find here in this narrative, and it is consecration, crossing over, and contending. So it's consecrating, crossing over, and contending, which when they are followed in sequence leads to conquest. I, I, I just want to encourage you this morning uh, not, not to get discouraged because the call to consecration is still being released. You see, I believe God loves us too much to allow us to stop somewhere short of crossing over. He is gracious enough to keep poking at us, to keep calling us, to keep repeating his call until we either completely obey or walk away. But I I just felt like I needed to, to begin here this morning and talk to somebody to know that God is going to keep calling He's going to keep calling you to this place of dealing with sin and self. He's going to keep calling us back to these places. You said, I'll just wait it out. You ain't going to wait it out. Because you have been ruined by revival. And when you've been ruined by revival, you're just going to be miserable until you say yes. You say, sooner or later, we'll get through this season. I got to back up. God's not going to back up. He's waiting on you to say yes. And I am believing before we leave today, you're going to say yes. Yes. And going all in for God and the purposes of God and the things of God. So I must remind you once again that you're in a revival church. And if you're looking for a church in which you can feel comfortable in, I I recommend maybe you look for another kind of church. And I admonish you now, stop praying for revival if you love the world. Because if you love the world and all that is within it, as soon as you say, God, send revival, I believe revival is released and God starts ripping all the worldly stuff off us and out of us. See, we think we're good until we say, Lord, send revival, and he really sends it. God got to a place after 40 years of waiting for Israel to be ready for consecration. We see that God raised up a remnant generation to go and take his land back. 
because they were crossing over to take over. His plan was he would work with his people. He would co-labor with them by faith. But they would have to fight. Every bloody inch that they would receive, they would have to fight for. They would have to contend for. See, we've been talking about consecration. We've been talking about crossing over. But today I must talk about contending. Contending. You see, we, we, we are, are in a battle to possess everything God intends for revival to be for our generation. We're not just fighting for ourselves to have revival. We're not just fighting for Fresh Start Church to have revival. We're fighting for a generation to get all God desires to pour out in the midst of revival. And I went over this last week, so I'll just hit it real quick. But we, our battle is against demonic powers that are standing in the way of our revival fullness. We've been talking about crossing over into Canaan, the promised land. And for us, that's the fullness of all God is and all that he has promised. It is the fullness of revival. It is the fullness that God has, I believe, prophetically stored up for an end time church to experience a, such a move of God and a revival that this people planet has never hosted. And so they were going in to take over. What, what does that mean? That, that, that means that Israel as a nation became a weapon of God. This was God's battle, not theirs. And they became a weapon of God in the hand of God to conquest Canaan. And they were, they were supposed to march forth and demonstrate the holiness and the power of God. So God is fighting these demon-possessed nations that have given themselves over to iniquity. Idolatry and immorality. It oozes out of them. It was a very wicked place. Most of the time we think about the, 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 the Holy Land and, 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 and the land of promise. We think that it's the land that flows with milk and honey. And it does. It is a place of great wealth. Of great blessing. But surrounding all, all of that are evil nations and darkness. All the treasures of God are covered in darkness. And they're waiting on those who are in the kingdom of God to march into the realms of darkness and break the darkness off the treasures of God. These belong to my God. You can't. You can't persist. So we realize it is time when we're crossing over to take over, to serve an eviction notice on these demon-possessed nations that they no longer have a right to squat on this land because it does not belong to them. It belongs to God. And so God used Israel as a weapon in his hand, as divine judgment on their wickedness. And on these demonized nations, he used them to totally purge evil from the land. You see, we don't many times look at this. We just look at crossing over into the promise. We forget what it was like when there was no righteous. 450 years and there was no people of God. There was no worship of God. Are y'all okay? 
But now, they are in, and now they must contend. See, true contending, and we talk about that a lot, but I felt like I needed to push this deep into the DNA of this house like never before. We are a contending people. That's what we have been doing all morning long. Contending. But true contending begins with a revelation. And that revelation is that the living God is among us. That just went right over y'all's heads. Maybe that what? Maybe I didn't say it good enough. True contending begins with the revelation that the living God is among us. How many would agree that for too long the church has been acting like God is dead, but he's not dead. He is a living God. We sing like he's dead, praise like he's dead, preach like he's dead. But do you understand when people know that the living God is among them, they act different than everybody else. They sing different, shout different, dance different, pray different. Why? Because the living God is among us. Ah! (laughs) See, some people serve a historic God. All they can do is talk about what God has done. Some people talk about a futuristic God. All they can do is talk about what he's going to do. But he refreshed our church. We talk about a present God, an ever-present God, a God that is real in the moment, a God that is active and accessible, a God that is moving, touching, the God that is close enough with faith, I can reach out and grab. He is not distracted. He is not disconnected. Just so you know, because we got a, a crazy world right now. The God is very much in tune with everything that is going on in the world right now one revivalist said the supreme need of the hour is a reminder that the living God is present and active among them Joshua when he made that statement to the sons of Israel he was speaking of God's act in the drying up of the Jordan so they could cross on dry land. He said, this is revealing to the nations that God is with us. God is among us. He goes before us as we go into enemy-held territory to evict and to remove their influence from the land. This, this was a quite, quite a challenge, you see, because there was not one, not one city that Israel had the military capacity to take on their own. Think about it. Not one. 
There wasn't one battle that was a sure deal. There wasn't one city. Oh, we can take them. We can, we can take their walls. We can take their strongholds. We can take that people. There was not one. There was not one. And, and so, so Joshua had, he let them know, hey, listen, listen, you gotta know, you gotta know the living God, the living God, the living God is among us. So when you feel overwhelmed and you feel like the battle is, is too big and there's no way you're ever gonna win it, just think about Israel getting up every day and say, we're going to battle and we can't do this on our own. But the living God is among us. Maybe this explains Joshua's encounter. Joshua, they're in. They have consecrated themselves. Through faith, they marched after the presence of God because revival comes to those that go after it. I've been saying that for three weeks. But something... They're in. All two million of them are in. And Joshua is by himself. Kind of meandering around looking at Jericho. Knowing this will be the first place of battle. And he needs a strategy. How are we going to take this city? Probably the biggest one they're going to have to take. The first one. If we get this one, the rest of them will fall in our feet. He's walking around. Oh, I need a word, Lord. You, you, got, you got us this far, Lord. I, I need to know how to take the city. And he looks up, and there's an image. And the image has a sword drawn. Now, knowing that Joshua is a warrior, I'm sure the first thing he did is put his hand on his sword. And he asked him a question. Are you for us? Or are you for our adversary? He's got a hand on his sword. And... This image of a warrior speaks back to Joshua and says, neither. What? He's probably getting a little harder grip on his sword. Neither. You see, he was letting Joshua know something. He was letting Joshua know. Joshua, just so you'll know. You're not in charge. So he said, Joshua, you're not in charge. And oh yeah, by the way, they're not in charge either. But I'm the one in charge. I am the Lord of hosts of the Lord's army. That's who I am. The 
this, 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 this is fascinating. Fascinating to me. He didn't either. You know, A.W. Tozer said, while it looks like things are out of control behind the scenes, there is a God who has not surrendered his authority. Yeah, 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 yeah. See, most, most theologians believe this was a, the pre-incarnate Christ. This was, an, this was Jesus Christ himself, that he showed up. He showed up as a warrior. He showed up with his sword drawn, and he just wanted him to know, listen, I am the Lord of hosts. I have an angelic host. I have a host of warriors that follow me around, and we are in charge. If you want to know how you're going to take it, they're going to see you. But really, it's me and my host. Yes. yes, Captain of the Lord, of host, Jehovah Sibioth, an army going to war. I got good news for you today, people of God. Your God is always present. And he is always present to defend you, to fight for you, and to win your battles. And he has never lost one, and he never will. I don't know about you, but if I got to be in an army, I want to be in the Lord's army. I want to be on the right side of this thing. I want to be on the side of victory. I want to be on the side of conquest, because nothing can take him out. Yes? Jehovah Sibioth drew his sword and declared by the drawing of his sword it's time for war. Our perception of God is very important. It affects so many different areas of our lives. You see, Moses knew God as a deliverer. Because God used Moses to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. So the God he knew is a deliverer. If you ask him, who is your God? He would say, he is a deliverer. But if you ask Joshua after this encounter, who is your God? He would say, he is a warrior. The Lord of hosts, sworn drawn, ready for battle. That's who God is. The reason this is important, catch this, is our latest revelation of God reveals who he wants to be in our next assignment. That's tweetable right there. I'm going to say it again. Our latest revelation of God reveals who he wants us to be in our next assignment. Moses has a revelation of God as deliverer because he had an assignment to, to set a nation free. 
Joshua just had a revelation of God as the warrior because he's getting ready to go to war. What's your latest revelation? Can tell you what your next assignment is. Y'all understand that, that our God has a preceding reputation. Our Bible says in Joshua chapter 2, 9 and 24, it's talking about these nations. It's talking about those that sit uh, 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 illegally in what belongs to God. That, that it refers to them in Joshua chapter 2, verses 9 and verse 24. That, that it refers to them um, that, that when they see. Everybody say see. We're still talking about perception. When they see or when they saw the children of God coming, their hearts melted away. Rahab told the two spies that went to Jericho, everybody knows who your God is. And they know that he is among you. And they know how he brought them out through the Red Sea. And now they have seen him bring them through the Jordan. They know what your God looks like. And every time they see you, their hearts melt. That, that phrase hearts melt means that they are demoralized. Your enemy is demoralized. See, they didn't even know it. The victory had been won. 40 years going around in the desert, and the victory had already been won. Lord, help me preach this. The word demoralized means that they literally lost their courage and confidence. These great warring nations, they weren't sissies. They were warring nations. They were built for conflict. You better be built for conflict. I just got to talk to somebody right now that doesn't understand. Oh, the devil, the, you know, I, I'm not worried about it. You better, you better, you better understand this. So, so let, let me just stop here and work on this. Finney, we all know who Finney is. I've been quoting in the last few weeks. He says, revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict, determined to win or die. And if need be, to win and die. And he closes it out by saying, the violent take it by force. Finney carried such a great anointing in his life that he talked about this power from on high. He talked about being endued, an endowment of power, he called it. And he talked about how when he was under this endowment of power, that it was easy to do the work of revival. But sometimes it would lift. And when it lifted, he said, it would be more laborious. And he goes on to talk about how when this would happen, 
And he sensed this, this endowment of power lifting that he would take a day or two. And he says, I would inquire of the Lord to why the anointing lifted. For he said, the work was too hard for myself. He said, typically he would go and he would repent of some attitudes or offense and adjust something to recapture the anointing. But he said this, it always came back in its freshness. I'm going somewhere. He said this, this was not once and done, but rather the habit of my life. And he says, quote, if you are full of Holy Spirit of God, you will have increase in opposition. Let me just read this. This is a quote. If you have much of the Spirit of God, you must make up your mind to have much opposition, both in the church and in the world. Very likely the leading men in the church will oppose you. There has always been opposition in the church. Talking about revival. So it was when Christ was on the earth, and if you far above their state and of feeling, church members will oppose you. That means you're pushing them beyond their comfort zone. For if any man live godly in Christ Jesus, he must expect persecution. And he goes on and says this, you must expect frequent and agonizing conflict with Satan. Satan has very little trouble with those Christians who are not spiritual, but lukewarm, slothful, worldly minded. But such do not understand what is said about spiritual conflict. Perhaps they will smile when such a thing is mentioned. It means they will mock it. And so the devil lets them alone. They do not disturb him and he them. But spiritual Christians, he understands very well, are doing him a vast injury. And therefore he set himself against them. Such Christians often have terrible conflict. There's more to that, but I will leave that. The point I want to get back to is we need to understand that when we enter into conflict, because contending gives birth to conflict, contending is not defensive, it's offensive. It's not responding to the conflict, it's creating the conflict. So, 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 so you can be a nominal believer and, and you can be, you know, there ain't no battle in the wilderness. Who's going to fight over the wilderness? Who wants a barren, dry, dusty, waterless, can't grow nothing, hot place to live? There ain't nothing worth fighting for in the wilderness. If you, you say, well, I don't understand what you're talking about. I don't have any issues at all. I have no opposition. I have no battles. I have no spiritual warfare. Well, you might be living in the wilderness. Because there ain't nothing worth fighting. The devil don't even want that. But you get up in the promised land, you get up in the milk, and you get up in the honey, and you get up in the wealth of the land. You get up in the goodness of the Lord and see if he will come to try to take it away from you. 
But let, 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 look, things, things always look different. Are y'all okay? Things always look different in the spirit realm, you know, than they do in the natural. Take a look around. Look, just look around. What does it look like? There's a lot of people in the building. Radical people. They've been singing and shouting and dancing, clapping and yelling and screaming, provoking everybody to good works. That's what we see. You look around and you say, wait a minute, look down the road. I know that guy. He is so dysfunctional. You look over here and say, hey, I know that lady. She is so fleshly. I, I see that whole bunch sitting right over there. They're just <laughs> so frail. In the spirit. <laughs> so flawed, these people. But yet they shout. And they pray. And they press. And they believe. I'm going somewhere. They contend, but when I look at it, it may not look like much. But when in the spirit realm, they are seen, apparently they make the hearts of our enemies melt. Israelites weren't smitten by each other. They didn't scare each other. But when the enemy looked at them, their hearts melted with fear. It drained the courage and the confidence, right? What I'm trying to let you know is when heaven looks at us and hell looks at us, it's a whole different deal. Our praise may be full of flaws. It may be dysfunctional. We may be weirded out. We may be weak and frail. But understand this. In the spirit realm, all it sees are those who are hidden in Christ. They see the Lord of hosts coming toward them and their hearts smell. Sabiath, the Lord of the Lord, the Lord's host is moving toward us. Did y'all get that? They strike. Fear in the heart of the enemy because of who their God is. We, we need to really grasp this because when we are releasing our war cries, it's not about how loud it gets in here. 
Because no matter how loud it gets, it's going to get louder in hell. Why? What I'm trying to tell us is this. What I'm trying to tell us is we never fight alone. We are contending, but we never fight alone. What do you mean? I mean, when we shout, heaven shouts. When you feel like there's no way to victory, what you need to do is open up your mouth, let out a war cry, and loose that, then loose the heavens to shout with you. Loose the host of, the, of, of, of angel armies to shout with you. I may shout by myself, and it don't sound like much, but when heaven jumps... So never forget that, church. When they say shout, shout with all you got. Because heaven is going to turn it up. Another notch. Yes? So, So it would seem like God is interested in perpetuating war, but he is not. He's not. But God knows us, and he knows that, that sometimes warfare is necessary for us to receive the fullness of revival. Because there is a real enemy that is determined to stop us and keep us from it. So we must contend. The only hope the enemy has to keep us, and I'm talking about the church, to keep us from revival is to keep us passive. You see, you will never possess anything you are not willing to fight for. God's, I believe, one purpose of war is to bring us into a deeper relationship with him. See, our nature is to become passive. Especially when everything is good. And we have all we need in this season of our life. We can just meander into church and meander out. I'm good. I got all I need. But war will test us. War pushes us into an authenticity and a dependency and an intimacy with God. You see, when you're in the midst of a real war, it strips all pride out of you. It strips all fakeness out of you. And it brings you to a place of vulnerability and intimacy before God. See, we tend to get real when life gets real. As long as everything's okay. 
I'll just stay in my, my, my religious bubble. And anyone ask me, how are you doing today, pastor? I will say, blessed and highly favored. But sometimes you don't feel like you're blessed. Sometimes you don't feel highly favored. Do you know it's impossible? It's just possible that somebody can come up to you and say, how are you doing today? You say, I'm blessed and highly favored. But you're bleeding on the inside. But you're broken on the inside. And all hell is coming and you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to get your hoopty out of the car repair. You don't know how you're going to pay your rent. You don't know where you're going to get gas money for the week. I don't know how I'm going to get through this thing. And somebody comes up and said, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. No, you're not. You're in a battle. You don't need to be blessed and highly favored. You need to draw your sword and prepare to fight for God's best. Stop being passive. Because if you won't fight for it, you ain't going to get it. Just, just listen to your pastor right now. You will never receive anything from God through passivity. All true revival carries aggression in it. No matter the expression of it, it carries aggression in it. Only people who are tired. Do you just ever tell God I'm tired of this? I know, I know. Y'all don't do that. I don't either. Sometimes I just, God, I'm really just tired of this. Just tired. Don't want to deal with this anymore. But revival carries aggression. People who are tired of dead religion. People who are tired of walking in and walking out the same. Without an encounter. Without God touching me in the place of my greatest pain, I come in and I go out. I come in and I go out. But you see those who have aggression. Those who have aggression are, 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 are those who put a demand on what God will do in an atmosphere. No, 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 you hear me. Atmosphere doesn't demand what God's going to do. God demands in the Somebody's got to say, God, in this atmosphere of worship, in this atmosphere of praise, in this atmosphere of faith, in this atmosphere of expectancy, God, I need you to do something in my life. It's the kind of people that have a made up mind. And they say, I'm not going in there. And coming out sick again. I'm not going in there and coming out addicted again. I'm not going in there and coming out broken again. I put a demand on the revival spirit to breathe life into me. You do understand, don't you? Spiritual manifestations, healing, deliverance, and many others. Don't just fall out of him. Oh, a bunch of people got together at church and, 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 and it just fell out of heaven. 
No, that would be wilderness living. You know, stuff coming out of heaven. They didn't know how to feed their stuff. As soon as they got in the promised land, God said, we're done. Grow your own food. Cultivate your own soil. Grow your own stuff. Yeah, well, we don't want to do that. But when you get hungry enough, you will. Spiritual manifestations, they don't fall out of heaven. Spiritual manifestations break in. They're not just falling everywhere. They break in where people have lifted their faith. What did you walk in here believing for? Well, I don't know if I did. Well, you ain't, you, if you didn't come in here believing for something, then you're going to leave with nothing. But if you came in here, it could break in this Sunday. You want to make sure you have your faith right so you can lift up your faith and grab it. Grab it. Grab it. Sometimes they're breaking in all around us, but we're not grabbing them. Somebody say yes. Okay, almost done. I have to read some scriptures to you. When we look at the context, the full context of the book of Joshua, and then we go over into the book of Judges, especially the first three chapters. We find there then that Israel did not annihilate their enemies completely. They severely weakened their influence over territories. So they no longer were able to control the atmosphere. But because the children of Israel had inherited, had invaded, had evicted their authority of influence, they still were in the land, but they did not have influence. The influence at the beginning was righteousness and holiness. The authority of God. And then Joshua died. And then it says all the elders that served with him died. I'm going somewhere. Let me read it. Joshua chapter 2. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel went each into his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who served Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son and the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in a territory of his inheritance in timnath Hers. In the hill of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Watch this. All that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Nor yet the work which they had done for Israel. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Baals. 
They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed themselves down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord, served Baal and Astaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of, of the plunders who plundered them. And he sowed them into the hands of their enemies and around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Verse 21, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died. In order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in, and as the father did or not. So the Lord allowed these nations to remain, not driving them out quickly. And he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is, all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. Only in order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war. Those who had not experienced it formerly. Everybody listen. Every generation must have the will to war. Lest they move from contending to captivity. This was a revelation to me. One generation went in to contend for the fullness of revival. And they beat down the enemies and severely weakened them until they no longer had influence over cities or territory or regions. The people of God own this atmosphere. They are releasing the influence of God, the influence that will bless a nation. But because the following generation did not contend with the ruling spirits, these ruling spirits regained their power and began to turn it on a generation. <laughs> this is a revelation, you see. Even though the ruling spirits had been taken out, weakened and ineffective, because a generation arose that did not know the God that was among them and did not know that what God had done for them, bringing them out and then bringing them in because they did not contend for what God had already set in place. Then the ruling spirits regained their power, regained their authority and used it against the generation that compromised. You see here, oh, watch, I'm almost done. When the church does not contend with ruling spirits, it's capitulating to their influence. Because the Lord spoke to them three years ago. 
I know it was the Lord because I don't use the word capitulating. I probably haven't used it since I did it three years ago. The word capitulating means to surrender or to be non-confrontational. When churches do not take their place and contend with willing spirits, they must understand it does not only affect the regions of the unredeemed, but they will find their place in the church as well. Y'all, this is getting heavy right here. Because we think that they got to stay outside of the church building. But if you won't confront that spirit, and there's not an ecclesia in the house, those ruling spirits will come back seven times worse. And this time they're not stopping at the door. They're walking right on in. Have you ever noticed how many times Jesus ended up casting demons out of people that were in church? And he went to the synagogue to preach and he had to cast out a demon. Why did they get in there? Because they felt comfortable in there. Hello, Houston. We got a problem when you feel comfortable when ruling spirits feel comfortable in your church. They will literally rule over churches. They will control the atmosphere. I swear, I think sometimes I've been in those churches. The atmosphere is so heavy, so lifeless, so dark feeling sometimes. What's going on? Have they capitulated? Have they become so non-confrontational that the ruling spirits walk right up in their church every Sunday morning singing the same songs, hearing the same preaching, walks out feeling comfortable and walks back in the next week controlling the atmosphere. We, church, we, ecclesia, I don't have the stamina to worry about every other church, but I do have the will to make the enemy know that in this house, he is not welcome, and we will do everything we can to make him feel uncomfortable. If it means shouting louder, I'll shout louder. If it means jumping higher, I'll jump higher. If it means preaching harder, I'll preach harder. But there'll be no ruling spirits in this house. Everybody get up on your feet. The way you oppose ruling spirits, and besides, you know, intercessory prayer, and we know all the ecclesia things and government. One of the ways you do, though, is, is you create an opposite 
atmosphere. Did, did you get that? So I don't know what dead church you've been in last. You may walk in here and say, well, this is totally opposite. Well, that's why there's no dead, lifeless, suffocating, religious spirit deciding what service is going to be like. If you've already been offended because Jessica and Sam and Pastor Kim yelled at you, I'm sorry. I spent way too much of my ministry and life in lifeless, dead, heavy atmospheres and just saying, oh, well, we'll mark that one up. Maybe it'll be better next week. How about every time we get in this place, we make up our mind. I'm walking in with an opposite attitude and atmosphere and no stinking spirit is going to set it for me. This is why we can never stop contending. A generation hangs in the balance. Only took one to stop contending and they were overwhelmed with iniquity, idolatry, and immorality. All it takes is one and the church will be filled with iniquity, idolatry, and immorality and we'll just worship our way right through it because it doesn't matter anyway. It's dead. A generation's I'm out of time but a generation's faith hangs in the balance. I was just going to give you a little bit of a taste of what I'm talking about and there's this thing you know called progressive Christianity it's, it's really it's really wreaking havoc on this generation they use words like the deconstruction of faith it's when they begin to deep dive into their belief system the word of God and see if they really think it matters anymore real Thousands upon thousands of this generation are being seduced by deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Their faith. You see, it's, we should not be surprised because we are, if anything else, at the beginning of the end, end time. And there's going to be an apostate church, our Bible is very clear. Apostate, yeah, that means those that have fallen from the faith. Some of you may be deceived. Some of you may be. Because unfortunately, much of the church today, the devil is better at deceiving than we are discerning. We would rather have a comfortable, non-confrontive, appeasing, gospel than a gospel that confronts us, calls us to consecration. I preached this for one reason. Because when I got to the end of this thing, I wanted us to be so desperate that we 
will never stop contending. Contending itself is not the end. It is what it produces. It breaks off all passivity. By nature, I'm a very passive person. I know that shocks you. Just put a microphone in my hand and everything changes. I can't help that. It's always been like that. God and I have had that talk many times. But I will not be passive about the things of God, about the Spirit of God, about revival and awakening and reformation. And I will not be quiet about a generation and a nation that needs God. There must be a contending people. I'm asking God to push a contending spirit deep into the DNA of this house that it will absolutely be something we would not ever consider giving up. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival at doorkeepersofrevival.com and you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.